0: For April 29th, 2019, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 565, Portals. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the Internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out and uh, talking about the things that interest us. Uh, you know, we've taken a departure from the normal movie of the week um, Podcasts that often we do over the summer and summer blockbuster season. But uh, obviously, we're returning to the movie of the week uh, format for this week because it's high time that we talk about a little film called Shazam. Uh, I've been a fan of Zachary Levi ever since <laughs> Chuck. Uh, and uh, I just think that the work he does in this film is unparalleled. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Obviously, we're going to talk about Avengers Endgame. I'm Matt Rather. We have uh, regular overthinkers, Matthew Blinky, Hello, Matt. I can do this all day, Matt. <laughs> and uh, Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete.
1: I love you 3,000, Matt.
0: And we are very, very glad to uh, have join us on this podcast a couple of guest overthinkers because we, uh, we call together, we assemble a mighty team to take on a, a mighty film such as this. So uh, welcome Ben Krinsky, the world's foremost expert on Star Trek. Hello, Ben
2: whatever it takes folks whatever it
0: takes (laughs) it's nice uh i really liked avengers 2 where uh khan was revealed to be luke's father that was my favorite uh of the
2: star trek movies Uh... (laughs) (laughs) i see we have a lot we we have a long way to go
0: (laughs) (laughs) and joining us uh one of our foremost experts on the marvel cinematic universe shian is back to talk about a marvel movie welcome back to the podcast it's great to have you
3: I think I liked him better as either of the two ways. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So um,
0: this film, uh, you know, did OK at the box office. It uh, it broke records. You know, it's it's the number one everything by a country mile now and uh, is, I guess, has taken in about one point two billion dollars at the global box office, about three forty three fifty of it in the United States, which is huge. Uh, another three hundred plus billion in China, which is interesting and, and the kind of the global box office office uh you know and china is a, a global box office you know film industry superpower is an interesting thing uh the the take of this movie in five days is also more than the gross domestic product of several countries including uh saint Kitts and nevis uh saint vincent and the grenadines samoa micronesia and the Marshall Islands, so uh, you know, or oh, and Tuvalu uh, as well. My goodness, the the so more more than the the entire economic output of a nation working uh, for an entire year. This film. Snapped up from the global movie going public in five days did it deserve it? Hot takes round the horn no um, it, uh, but obviously it 's about the story it 's about the characters and, and part of every part of every journey is the end now i don 't know. How you filled out your bracket, how you filled out, whether, whether you, you know, had placed bets with, uh, Vegas bookies about how, who would survive this film, who would, uh, who would not make it. And I don't know how you ended up, um, ended up turning out. I mean, you know, if you took the, uh, I guess if you took the over on Cap, you did uh that that was the smart bet because like uh there was a sense for contractual reasons that he might have gone as well, but he does end the film alive. Spoiler alert <laughs> for all of uh, Avengers Endgame. But um, you know, ba- based on that and based on uh how you end a movie blinky i know you were thinking about this and thinking about something that that super producer kevin feige has said about uh about how this whole mcu thing has has wrapped up now uh what are your thoughts on how this is a fit ending for the whole (laughs) marvel cinematic universe and how there will be no marvel movies after this
4: so way back in april 2018 uh kevin feige was doing promotion for infinity war and he was asked uh by the people at entertainment weekly if there was going to be a lot of death if if we should expect infinity war to be a bloodbath and he said uh people will uh, this is a direct quote here people will always jump to that but that's not necessarily what we're talking about i talk a lot because i'm a big-ass nerd about star trek star trek the next generation all good things which is parenthetically i am I'm adding that that is the finale for the next generation. Um, That, to me, is one of the best series finales ever. That wasn't about death. Picard went and played poker with the crew, something he should have done a long time ago, right? Um, Which, okay, so here's the deal. After Infinity War comes out, it seems like that quote is a remarkable act of misdirection because Infinity War does in fact end with literally half the universe (laughs) being wiped out. So you're like, ah, Kevin Feige, he got us. He completely lied to us. Right. But then wait a year and then and uh, Endgame comes out and it seems like he almost like really told us what Endgame was going to be in in the plainest terms he could because all good things is an episode where Picard uh to to quote uh, Kurt Vonnegut he becomes unstuck in time right um, Jean-Luc Picard became unstuck in time so it um yeah and and so it goes and he finds himself uh, jumping between the present between the future to see like what's happened to all these characters in the years since they served on the Enterprise and also a flashback to the very first episode of the show when he is meeting all these characters for the first time which of course involves uh, characters that had left the show right Tasha Yar who got killed off at the end of the very first season and this is a chance to see her again Um, and, and, and to get her back in the finale even though she's been she hasn't been in the show for years and that seems like the template for what happened now, not just the time travel, but the idea that like, Oh, we can revisit these iconic moments of the series. We could get Michael Douglas in there one more time and get Robert Redford in there. One more time we get one shot of Natalie Portman. There were so many amazing actors and actresses here that didn't even have any lines that just their job was to just stand there in front of a green screen and then get composited in, in some way that they probably barely understood. Um, You know, (laughs) And, and and so it feels like Star Trek The Next Generation was was a real inspiration here. But then somebody pointed out it wasn't me, but one of you pointed out that Star Trek Voyager is also it, it It feels like it can't be a coincidence that the finale of that show was actually called Endgame and actually did feature the character Janeway in the distant future who can't let go of the past actually finds a way to time travel back to the to the show's present uh, her future wait i'm messing it up anyway like like literally finds a way to pull the, the avengers endgame you know 20 something years ago right in the in the what is it? the late
1: 90s yeah yep yeah it's very it's a very similar sort of story where it's like can you let go of the people who died i can't i have to travel back in time and bring them back from the dead and it's called endgame which is pretty fun Uh, But I think that the thing that you're striking, the tone you're striking with the Next Generation finale is really more of what they're going for here, right? Which is they're going for this – it's something that feels like an ending, but it's not just just people getting killed. It's an ending in other ways and people moving on, doing other things, and the characters kind of reaching uh, the end of this and the beginning of something else. Something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. But I, I guess,
4: I mean, I guess what I wanted to get out there is obviously the last hour of the movie after Thanos shows up and blows up Avengers headquarters and it, the whole thing becomes this, this battle right for the fate of the universe that gets very stressful and, 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 you know, feels the stakes feel like they couldn't be higher. But I feel like until then, after you get the sort of opening 20 minutes or 30 minutes out of the way and, and they sort of launch into what they, what they straight up called the time heist, it almost feels like, Light in a way, it almost feels like this fun little farewell to the marvel universe you know like i guess what i'm saying is like at no point when they traveled back in time was i really i mean there's a big exception right and that's that's the the sacrifice that has to be made to get uh the the stone for the red skull back um but but besides that it it almost feels like it's it's those scenes are more about like tony getting to meet his dad one more time and getting a fun scene with tilda swinton in there and they feel like fan service rather than like this sort of agonizing like you know oh my god like every every scene is like another horrible sacrifice and like you know how how will our heroes survive like you know the next five minutes much
0: to like the next two hours my i mean my favorite part was when the hulk said to tilda swinton anti-time Tilda, anti-time <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was okay. So, what, what, what then is the moment of Picard playing poker with the crew for this movie? What's the analog of that uh, in, in this film? Right. Like what what is the kind of the, the thematic moment where something happens? I mean, you know, it would have been great if the the reception after the funeral took place at a shawarma restaurant or something like that. Right. And they all um, like I, w- I would have liked to see some kind of callback or some some sort of uh, uh, some sort of thing. And in a film that was chock-a-block with callbacks, it it is a weird thing. Uh, it's a weird I mean, thing to say. I I would say for me, it was the vi- Very end where Captain America
4: decides that he can just walk away, right? Because he's this character has been driven by duty ever since the nineteen forties, and he sort of wakes up in the present, and he is just sort of thrust from one battle to another, right? And he is constantly driven by this sense of responsibility, and he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders, and his country turns his back on him, and he has to hide. And just the idea that like he he can give it up, and he he toys with that back in uh, the Winter Soldier, right? And he says, like when he first meets uh, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, you know that he's thinking about, like, well, what what could I be, like, you know, how could I live my life if I didn't have to be Captain America? And then, of course, he does have to be Captain America. But then, like, I I think it's. Is this you know, I, I know that there are logistical and, and, and uh, logical metaphysical issues with like, how does that time travel work when he just decides to go back in the past and just marry the girl of his dreams to, and the timeline be damned? Stick, but just, like,
0: stick a yeah. pin in that question. But I think this was a controversial thing in the film. Shian, I know you had thoughts about this. How did you feel about uh, Captain America uh, vol- taking a, a voluntary early retirement?
3: yeah to me it kind of felt really out of character um, especially since we've seen all this growth that he's gone through in the film there are a couple moments where he talks about how the guy who went into the ice wasn't the same guy that came out but still he pines for his ex-girlfriend i think or just someone that he had a crush on at some point um, and decides to go back in time and essentially erase all of the people that were in her generations after her because she you know got married and had children when he wasn't there and so it feels really out of place um and if we're thinking about the way that time travel is explained in this film it uh, one theory that i've heard is that perhaps the new timeline that Captain America is now created by going back in time to start these different chains of events. Um, Continues on, and he lives his 70 years, and then for some reason is able and decides to come back to the point in which he traveled um, to this particular past time frame and then. That's when he comes back to the time frame that we're aware of, and I think anytime you need to do that kind of twisting to try and make something make sense, it kind of seems like the easiest option would have been better. And so it just seems really, really out of character and makes little sense to me personally. And also,
0: like it's more, it's more than that, right? The last shot of the film is him and Peggy Carter like dancing, you know, kind of romantic dancing uh, to Great American Songbook music and and kissing, right? And that that's like. That not not only that, but to to kind of wrap up the four film Avengers, um, you know, uh, four film Avengers arc, and the you know two dozen film Marvel Cinematic Universe with this with this sort of thing that this. Super old-fashioned, you know um, what? What I heard in a in a film textbook called the like the obligatory uh, reaffirmation of heterosexuality at the end of a, <laughs> at the end of a of a film, right? That this is like um, I, I don't know. It it seems kind of out of character for what what these these films have done. Pete, you're you're trying to get in. What do you think?
1: Oh yeah, I, I agree. I agree that that the Captain America's arc doesn't really seem to land on this whole idea of going back and and achieving a life. So I would suggest an alternative point where I really felt like Captain America's arc really landed. Because if you go through the various movies, you start out and Captain America is a kid who wants to get into the fight. He's in Brooklyn. He's not allowed to join the army. And the first Captain America movie is about the various ways that he keeps trying to get to the front and get to be part of the fight. And he keeps being prevented from doing so. He's in the propaganda shows and he's doing song and dance nonsense. And he finally gets to go behind enemy lines. And then this, this dynamic evolves. And so and this idea of him being kind of alone against the odds, which is what he sought out when he started, is that when he started out, he wanted to be out there by himself, away from all the other people, so that he could fight the good fight and, and kind of protect them. And then in, you know, uh, Witcher Soldier, it's it's his own agencies, right? Like the own the government agencies around them are being co-opted by Hydra, and he is kind of on the front lines even though he's in langley or washington or alexandria or wherever he is right uh dealing with with those people. And it's like, wow, Captain America really is kind of behind enemy lines, even though he's in the government. And then you have, you know, Civil War, where Captain America is behind enemy lines, even though he's in the Avengers, right? And so he is totally alone. He gets totally isolated uh, and ends up, you know, kind of fleeing around the world and his own best friends try to fight him. And then you take it forward to Infinity War, and it goes to the extreme extent that Captain America is, like, brought to his knees, holding Thanos his hand with the infinity gauntlet fully powered practically on it right utterly hopeless no opportunity to do anything and he has he has put himself behind enemy lines in an impossible situation as much as he possibly can and then in this movie they bring you to that moment again where i think that his moment is really when his shield has been cut in half and he gets up right and it's like okay I'm going to act like my gym teacher always told me to and walk it off, right? And he gets up and he's going to – and there's that long – that big shot of him and Thanos and all of Thanos' army. And there's this idea that he's going to take them all on single-handedly and then all the portals open, right? And all of the other allies from all over the galaxy come in to help Captain America against Thanos, and that, to me, feels like the end of Captain America's journey because he's back and he's he's back come back. This is now his Brooklyn again, right? He's surrounded by friends. He doesn't have to be on the front lines alone anymore. And in fact, he can take a brief step back and let other people go forward. And that's sort of what the thing that he could not allow himself to do when he was a kid and felt like he was capable of doing it. And that's kind of the sunrise, the noon, and the sunset of man and like the old Oedipal myth, right? It's like, okay— He's moved on enough now that he can't be the one, the only one on the front lines anymore. The younger generation needs to kind of move forward and take that over. And so the idea of a Captain America who sees that and then says, you know what? These are the these are the folks I'm going to like semi retire. I'm going to go get a a two bedroom apartment with Nick Fury and like run shield with him. Right. Something more along those lines would feel like more of a retirement for him because it was never for him about whether he was going to be in the place of violence or the place of peace because brooklyn was a place of violence for him anyway it was about whether he was going to be among other people or out alone whether america was going to be isolationist or not right whether america was going to be the preemptive mover or not right or whether america was going to be part of the community uh and, and i think that 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 more than the idea of him kind of finding peace in a in a heteronormative gray flannel suit kind of way was what really felt satisfying about his presence in this movie to me
4: so. Yeah, Pete, you know, one, one interesting thing to add to that is I think what kicks off that, that beautiful uh, spine tiggling sequence of all the portals opening and everybody showing up is uh, Sam just comes out. But I, guess, I guess there's some sort of like comm system in, in everybody's helmet, which I wasn't aware of. And he just, it's that beautiful callback to the Winter Soldier where he just says, T- on your left. And the yeah, portal opens. Oh, is that what he, he says he yeah says no that? but but here's the thing it? so the 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 joke in the winter soldier is that they met because they're running around the reflecting pool in washington and captain america just laps him again and again he just continually says on your left on your left on your left because he is faster than anybody right and nobody can keep up with him and i think that's the first time that sort of sam gets to say it back to him and there's this suggestion that's you know this is the thing that's greater than you all of us right like the yeah. the the team of the avengers together is the thing that laps you and 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 is is stronger than you can ever be and and uh, so I kind of I, I do i like that interpretation that it's this sort of idea that like and it's it's ironic in a way because the whole if you if you remember way back to um the first captain america movie he wasn't supposed to be a frontline soldier he was supposed to be a fundraising tool he was supposed to go around the country and sell war bonds right. and they had this great little jingle it's a star-spangled man that he got to sing and everything and he was the one who insisted like no i want to personally fight the enemy i want to i want to go in there and you know you know, the, the brass, which I believe was Tommy Hilly Jones, believe it or not, thinking way back to uh, the back in the day, uh, was against the idea. And I feel like it almost comes full circle to this idea that, like, yeah, Captain America, he's a good fighter, but that's not where his real value lies. His real value lies in being this sort of figurehead, this sort of guy, the symbol, right, who can rally the troops. And is he's the one guy who can say Avengers assemble and everyone shows up.
0: All right, let's uh, let's turn to Hulk uh, because there's uh, there's just nothing nothing to do. It'll be a three hour podcast and a three hour movie if we don't move briskly from character to character. Uh, Hulk took a turn in this, and it seems like there should be a whole Hulk film between Avengers: Infinity War and Avengers: Endgame. Uh, Shion, what did you think of the kinder, gentler Hulk?
3: Um I kind of felt robbed. So at the end of Infinity War, we have seen and I guess if you start at Thor Ragnarok it starts there, right? You know, you know that Hulk has been Hulk for 3 years on his own and has kind of abandoned Banner and not let him come out. And then you have the battle at the um the battle in New York with in with the aliens are coming down with um, they're the the people that are looking for the Infinity Stones, and they're they're coming down on all the people that are in New York, and Thor and everyone is coming out, and you have a situation where Hulk doesn't want to fight, um, and there's some fun like half Banner, half Thor. <laughs> what am I talking about? Half Hulk moments where you actually or hearing him say that no, he doesn't want to fight and to have whatever must have happened in the span of five years to turn the Hulk into some sort of Hulk beast hybrid, have it all happen off stage and he's just fine. I kind of I'm like, okay, <laughs> like what's going on here. Um, and that's completely outside of the fact that I frankly think it is just weird and I'm, Having trouble even getting used to the concept of him being this banner like person that's just a little bit bigger and green.
0: Yeah. I mean, he talks about it as in terms of like integrating the parts of his personality, but it wasn't like, um, no, no, this is this is tough, Pete. I kind of want to come back to you because I know you're a you're a Hulk aficionado, and it's true that the the Hulk has transformed a lot from uh, the early days. He's transformed from Ed Norton into Mark Ruffalo for for one thing. <laughs>
1: Uh, Eric Bana into Ed
0: Norton, into Mark. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> Does Eric Bana actually uh, count in this continuity? I, I, I don't know. Eric I think
1: Banna Hulk always counts. He's the Christopher <laughs> of Hulk as far as I'm concerned. No. Actually, that's not accurate. Cause that would be the guy, that would be the guy from the TV show. I mean, Lou Ferrigno is the Christopher Reeve of Hulk, but he's definitely the Michael Keaton of Hulk. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, I'm a big Hulk aficionado. But first, I want to I want to ask Shion just a second. Like, what was it about Hulk's inability to fight Thanos that interested you? Because I know it interested me. There's something about his like unwillingness to come out and fight that seemed to have some sort of pressing emotional urgency. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on it, because because if this really rubbed you the wrong way, I wonder if that's part of what's going on.
3: Yeah, so um, one thing that was said um, when when you meet the Hulk, this new Hulk, I'm just going to keep calling him Hulk Beast because it looks like the Beast to me um, and from, acts from like From X-Men him too. or from Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, which one? From X-Men, and not even not even <laughs> um, the
0: new Beast, the old Kelsey Grammer Beast, right? Yeah, right.
3: <laughs> absolutely, giving me a lot of Kelsey Grammer vibes for sure. Um, and he talks about how they were both beaten by Thanos, so like the idea that they're both afraid, perhaps, of Thanos and the last time that we see the hulk is uh, a very fleeting moment at the top of infinity war where he is trying to fight Thanos, and Thanos overpowers him um i'm pretty sure he had the the power stone at that time but that's the last time we see the actual hulk uh fighting and the next thing you know he lands in the in the sanctum where um Doctor Strange is and reverts back to himself so just seeing that and 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 the and knowing the kind of the background of how he had only just recently been the Hulk only for a very long time doing a lot of winning kind of living his best life I suppose and then he gets beaten by this Thanos person and then doesn't like, just decides not to appear. Like, it's very intriguing, and it's like, okay, is there going to be a movie where they tell us this? Is this something that we're just going to fan-theorize about until the cows come home? Because I'm just very curious about how they got to this place where they can, you know, be at one with one another
0: yeah, yeah and sort of punting on the they punted on the dialectic right like the the there should have been a journey in this movie for him to become to become the hybrid or to become all hulk or to become all all banner like the, this should have been something that was that yeah. was dealt with in the yeah. in the story of this movie especially since in the first avengers movie he talks about being the hulk and and it sounds like it's not at all pleasant for him yeah. you know? no i mean
4: honestly so so i was i was uh reading this book about the history of batman and they talk a little about like when marvel comes on the scene why marvel is such a revelation and why stan lee is is so new in terms of superheroes and it can kind of be summed up about like these are are superheroes that have like issue like like the angst right these are superheroes who consider their powers to be like curses right and and question whether they even want to be superheroes and complain about it all the time i'm thinking of like uh spider-man i'm thinking of like the fantastic four like the thing doesn't want to be the thing um i'm thinking of especially like the x-men right like the x-men are just like oh why do i have to be a mutant why can't i just be a normal teenager and the hulk is certainly one of these right like the hulk is like maybe i can use this power for good but basically like i would love not to be the hulk if somebody could take away this curse of hulkness that would be great and i kind of feel like i I, honestly for the entire movie i was waiting for the other shoe to drop because i felt like a integrated and and calm and sort of zen uh hulk that like has the best of both worlds is like a a fundamentally it's, it's not the hulk and it's also super boring so i was sort of waiting for like that sort of like that's not gonna that's not gonna stand at some point you know, there has to, that struggle has to continue.
1: Yeah. And I, I have one thing that I always, one thing I always say about the Hulk is that he is both the most relatable and the least relatable superhero. And the reason for this is that he functions differently than almost all other superheroes. The Hulk represents a knowable aspect of our own psychology, right? It's about people's relationship with pain and anger. And so it's something that we've all, we've all experienced what it's like to be the Hulk, to a degree to a greater degree than we might experience what it's like to be superman or batman or whatever which is that we all know what it's like to feel so angry or to have such strong feelings that we maybe potentially if if we don't lose control we at least feel like we might lose control and that 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 is something that's really familiar about being the hulk whereas a lot of superheroes they do represent an experience that's very foreign to humans that we kind of fantasize about i know i know we don't like smash cars and throw things and that's part of the fantasy of the hulk but the the getting angry and that you wouldn't like me when i'm angry is a lot closer to what a human being experiences in real life than like spider-man swinging from building to building spider-man has to be a normal-ish person in order to offset the swinging from building to building superman has to kind of be clark kent in order to offset the flying through the sky but like the degree to which uh bruce banner bruce banner is rarely more uh recognizable as like us than when he is turning into the hulk that's the part of it where it's like oh yeah i know what that feels like right i know that i mean go back to eric Bano, looking in the mirror like t- saying say to himself all the things all the people who shamed him in his life tell him and how angry he gets and his eyes start bulging out and so the idea that i, I also i like professor hulk when he appears in the comics but the stories that i like professor hulk in involve him confronting him- himself In challenging sorts of ways. And they require a specific sort of of kind of elbow, you know, uh, elbow spin, a little bit of elbow grease, a little bit of a little bit of English on the old pool cue, like Future Perfect, where which is a famous comic book arc where Professor Hulk, meaning Hulk, who is also Banner and has all his intelligence, travels into the distant future in time and then meets himself being driven mad by nuclear apocalypse but also being driven terribly powerful so he's like a warlord of the future and he has to confront himself and there's this similar dynamic of bruce banner has to confront this aspect of himself that is both foreign to him and also kind of well known to him this part of himself that he doesn't want to live with on a day-to-day basis but has to right and so if you're going to have smart hulk i hear you matt that it would help to have some way in which smart hulk has to confront not smart Hulk? Like, like if he had to fight himself. I think that that is really the missing scene. Is like a, a scene, Superman yeah. 3 scene, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, like, the rampaging Hulk is... Because the rampaging Hulk it causes a problem for the Avengers in this movie. That's what the rampaging Hulk always does, is he always causes problems. What if it would be like the rampaging Hulk is coming, and he's going to knock the building over, and it's like, no, 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 I have to get this out of the building. You have to stall him. And what if Banner... What if, like dab on the haters dad joke banner has to go fight himself for like 10 seconds and finds it impossible. And he's like, wow, I was this strong. I was this angry. I didn't even know. Right. I mean, that I feel like is the missing piece from his character in this movie is is the real confrontation with what he had been and what he had become and what he is now, if not become at peace with then sort of retired about himself, probably just suppressed further. So he's going to explode in some bigger bunch of rage later and become like giganto red Hulk or like gray Hulk uh, detective or whatever. I don't know.
4: It almost does feel that like, although the Hulk is still out there in the Marvel universe, he does survive this movie that like his story is kind of done pending further evolution. That like, there's no more, there's no more tension. There's no more drama to be mined out of the Hulk. A, A Hulk in control is a Hulk that like, is not a very interesting except for maybe like, if you need like a deus ex machina to like fix your machine for some other movie. Right? right. You go to professor Hulk for like a little comic relief and a familiar face. But like, you know, they can't, you can't tell a Hulk story about somebody who's like
1: solved all their Hulk problems. What, what if, so, what, if so, what if, what if banner said to Hulk, the sun's getting real low. And there's a scene in which like big Hulk, like savage Hulk turns back into banner. And then professor Hulk like still has the hand on his face, right? And, and like, okay, there's a powerful image that gives you an end of the Hulk arc that sort of shows you how far he's come. But uh, we didn't quite get there in this. Even if he kind of turns back, if both of them turn back at the same time, uh, and then he's like, oh yeah, we're time traveling. Oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> ben, did I hear you trying to get in there? Uh, yeah, just briefly. I guess I'm,
2: I am i don't know much about the Hulk, I, I have to admit, but um, it's interesting that they made the choice to um, to have the Professor Hulk um, character in this film. And I'm actually wondering, and I apologize if, if you've already touched on this and I just missed it, but what was the sort of narrative motivation, do you think, for doing it that way, for for writing in the way they did, as opposed to having some of these, um, th- th- maybe these more character development-driven moments for um, for him in this film, I, my, my own my own answer off the top of my head would be uh, that they needed a character who had the physical strength of the Hulk, but with Banner's cognitive ability to solve the problem of the Infinity Gauntlet. That he had to he had to have someone who's conscious and and willing to put on the gauntlet and and snap his fingers to try to make the universe right. Uh, and that person has to have both the the mental and physical capacities of um, Banner and Hulk, respectively. But but I'm I, I guess I'm sort of turning it around and wondering what you what you think. Yeah.
1: I mean I think personally that it's that they wanted him to end here. And I feel like there's a bunch of stories where they just chopped off the first hour. Like we don't actually get to see the full scene of Captain Marvel coming back and and getting to know everybody and kind of her interaction with everybody. We no, sort of I mean it was a, yeah. it
0: was an after credit scene, right?
1: And they didn't even show us all of it. They just showed her be like where's fury cut, yeah. right? And then we don't get to see it. They they chopped off the beginning. And a lot of the beginnings get kind of chopped off here, and I and I they do get us going at a running start, but uh, it feels like a sacrifice for the sake of the movie that that isn't really like picking up what's going on with the story. Uh, maybe it's to shock us when the five years have passed, how much has changed. Um, I mean, I
4: do wonder, I do feel like there's a little bit of. And understandably so, like like a desire to sort of buck expectations that like everybody is trying to figure out what's gonna happen in Endgame. And so the the smart money was here. It's like okay, so you have a situation where Banner can't turn into the Hulk, right? He can't, you know, like like the Hulk is scared to come out and fight Thanos. And it's like, oh, but what else do we know about him? He's got like a big crush on the Black Widow, and maybe the Black Widow is either like you know hurt or killed or in danger in Endgame. And that's where the Hulk finally hulks out in a big way, and you have this sort of like epic scene of hulking out and he comes out and redeems himself and rescues her and like that's that's a sort of obvious way to go and i almost feel like they're like you know what what if we just resolve the major hulk plot line of infinity war just we like get it done off camera and we just like you know so 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 just just to sort of buck expectations
0: it's interesting i mean imagine a a counterfactual where you would have you would have sent hulk with uh black widow to get the soul stone right and oh yeah uh, and that that fight had been between the two of them and when she through whatever means she had ended up winning i mean winning ended up uh managing to sacrifice herself over the objections of hulk then he you know smashed down that whole mountain you know Cut, cut to black, and he wakes up in the pool with the soul stone in his hand. Or Banner wakes up in the pool with the yeah. with the soul stone in his hand. At least would have gotten something like that. I mean, they wanted, uh, you know, they wanted the Hawkeye, uh, uh, Black Widow sort of thing. But I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think mm-hmm. we have as much. Um, I don't think we have as much invested in it as the you know as we do. And and in, so. in her like in in her character too as well like the the her her sacrifice is sort of dealt with in a way that that is maybe a little perfunctory i know the movie still has a lot of stuff to do um, and you probably can't dilute the funeral at the end by making it for more than one person though they managed to do it in uh, they managed to do it in serenity, right? When uh, th- to do a kind of a multiple, multiple funeral kind of memorial service sort of thing. So you know, it, we know it is possible within the realm of uh, of Joss Whedon adjacent science fiction and adventure stories, but the. Um, Uh, But I would have loved
1: to I would have loved to have seen if that's the scene, if the scene is like Black Widow and Banner go to the mountaintop, because, again, I care more about Black Widow and Banner than I do about Hawkeye and and Black Widow. It's a whole story. I would have loved to have seen Hulk get sacrificed, not Banner, like have them split, have like Hulk leap out from Banner and then sort of separate in some sort of weird lightning thing and have him jump off the cliff grab black widow or grab banner right and like throw him back over the cliff and have banner looking down and seeing hulk dead at the bottom of a mountain and then being like well if hulk's gonna come back something pretty drastic needs to happen at this point uh because that would be oh banner that's what you loved most was the hulk yeah and that's the revelation right um, that, that i would have enjoyed now as long as are writing yeah fiction, as long as you're are writing you- fan fiction
4: Little little poll of the room. Does anybody buy the idea that Black Widow and Hawkeye, they are the things that each other loves most in the world? Because, just okay, from Black Widow's point of view, she's had, like, pretty serious flirtations with both Captain America and Bruce Banner. From Hawkeye's point of view, he has this—I mean, as a married man, this, the whole plot line makes me a little uncomfortable. But I suppose that, like— if his entire family is dead, maybe there's like a whole death chart, you know, like if your quarterback gets injured, you have like backup quarterbacks and backup quarterbacks for that quarterback. It's like, if my children and my wife all get killed, then maybe Black Widow is my the next thing I love the most in the world. But it's still sort of like, just the idea that, like, almost without talking about it, they both sort of knew that each other, like, like sacrificing themselves would even count, right? Over, overthinking <laughs> It
0: is the only podcast where we have to explain an elementary sports thing for the benefit of our... <laughs> uh, of our audience. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was I thought that was weird as well. I I mean, I I suspect a lot of the reason for a lot of what we're seeing here is um is that there's a Black Widow prequel movie coming out, a Black Widow kind of backstory uh sort of movie that's and so you can kind of shortchange uh you know, um Nat slash Black Widow a little bit because it's going to be treated at length in another in another film. It also felt to me like they were leaning too heavily on I, I will say that I thought they had great chemistry in the first Avengers movie. And I wanted I wanted a callback to the line, you and I remember Budapest very differently. Uh the you know, the the way they're talking about it. this is just like Budapest in, in the in the first battle in New York. This is just like Budapest. You and i remember budapest very differently um i, I wanted that because they were talking about it when they were riding in the spaceship together and that that would have been a nice uh nice little thing anyway so there's yeah. uh, another another film with her coming out you know
1: yeah and to answer your question matt not for a freaking second i don't believe it at all so, <laughs> I don't believe it at all that that, yeah, talk, I mean, it, that Black it, Widow is the most precious thing to Hawkeye.
4: Right, it always seemed like Natasha and like Steve have like a much more meaningful connection, like they're BFFs, right?
1: I mean, yeah, but her, I mean, she's detached from everybody at this point in her life, and so is he. So, like, what's you know, they haven't seen each other in five I, years.
4: <clears throat> so, yeah, I don't know. It it is a remarkable coincidence that like in both. Uh, The movies in which people have to go and make the sacrifice, they just coincidentally happened to travel to the place to make the sacrifice with the thing that they love most in the world, even though they they didn't. It's not like they prepared for it or anything, although it, it is interesting. Nebula could have told them, right? Like Nebula knew the deal.
1: Right. Yes. Yes. She did. She could have. So
4: that was a little mean of her to sort of send them (laughs) off to do that. Just like, oh, how did it go? Oh, you guys, you guys
0: are going to the Soulstone Super. Yeah. Have fun.
1: And of course, great view. It's gonna be super awkward when Captain America goes to return the Soulstone and sees the the dead body of his best friend at work. His friend from work is dead at the bottom of a mountain, sitting there for carrion birds, and his arch enemy who is an actual Nazi is the person he's supposed to give the infinity stone back to and we're supposed to believe this all goes off without a hitch right that's, that's a little bit of a tall order I mean, it's not quite as tall of an order as him sneaking into Asgard and injecting the reality stone into Natalie Portman's butt which is what he actually has to do if we actually follow the logic of the movie uh, that's that is I think perhaps more absurd but uh, they really skip over a lot this is a movie that skips over a lot of the essential things that need to happen for its story Uh the, and I guess that's part of it. It's just like it's not as tightly plotted as Infinity War. It's pretty loosey goosey. It's very comic booky. Uh, it was I was very sentimental about a lot of it, but let's not pretend that it was grounded. And it's one of those movies that's easy to complain about because it doesn't really feel grounded.
0: Well, we have we have a couple more a couple more Avengers yep. to get through because I, okay. I do before we we close I do want to do some sort of uh, uh, total thoughts about the whole thing. Um, so uh, uh, Thor Lebowski. The the bigger <laughs> the bigger
1: Lebowski. Fat Thor is the Tormund Giants Mm -hmm. bane of the Avengers, man. He's great.
4: (laughs) So, I mean, here's the, so looking back on this 22 movie series, uh, Marvel gets a tremendous amount of credit for the cohesion that they managed to give to the whole thing, right? That, like, it really does hold together both the little threads of plot that they managed to weave back and forth between different movies, between different series, Um, but just so you know, an overall tone, and that is true, and you can see that, like, from the efforts that DC is putting into trying to create the same thing on their own, it is not easy. But I also think they deserve a lot of credit for being able to pivot in a way that doesn't feel awkward. And I think Thor is like exhibit A there because you forget – I mean – I I forgot until I reminded myself by sort of perusing IMDb the first Thor movie was directed by Kenneth Branagh and and had Anthony Hopkins and René Russo as his parents and was they were really going for something with gravitas right with with a with a feeling of like this is going to be like real Shakespearean you know high drama or or at the very least sort of like you know that that was where it started and then it became a little bit of a fish out of water thing but like they were not playing it, you know, for jokes at the time. And you know, if you watch the first Avengers movie, Thor's role is to be the straight man, right? Thor's role is to be super serious, and then Tony Stark gets all the 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 fun lines at his expense, like making fun of his cape and everything. And they yeah, really went a one eighty. On that character, that like you know, if you think of like the briefing scene in this movie where he's just like he's he's in fact recounting the plot of Thor: The Dark World, which is back when they tried to make Thor like super serious and like very dark and Shakespearean, and they're making fun of it, right? They're they're just like mocking what Thor used to be with what Thor's become, and instead of it feeling like it's a complete betrayal of the character, it feels so refreshing and cool that they that they can do that, right? That they can go a one eighty. You know, it, it, this would both in sort of like the role he used to play and like the team in the it, it would almost be like if they took Superman in the Justice League and had like Superman sort of become like an out of shape alcoholic or something, <laughs> you know, like after he loses to Darkseid um, right. and, and and he becomes the one who's the sort of like, you know, uh, comic relief to sort of Batman sort of like, you know, dour, serious leader. Um, and it works.
1: Oh, it really does work. I'm so looking forward to as Guardians of the Galaxy, as I've heard it called <laughs> right? with, with uh, Guardians with Thor, because it, is it at the point now where it's basically like, well, you know, I can write my ticket. I think, Matt, you've definitely talked before about how, yeah, the Marvel movies don't pay that great if your name doesn't rhyme with Hobart Howdy Hoonier, uh, but, uh, but but you get to write your tickets. And, and the ticket that Chris Hemsworth has wanted to write is like, I want to be in a bunch of space comedies. Right? It's like, all right, we'll cash your ticket. I mean, you made it so much money. We can hardly say no. Uh, and uh, you know what? A, I'm super glad that there are a bunch of space comedies, that they merely exist, and that he wants to be part of them. B, I'm totally stoked. Uh, as much as as much as uh, it was kind of sad to see Fat Thor incapable of standing up to his old combat abilities, uh, it's definitely exciting to see him uh, uh, present a new dynamic because he's yeah, there, much. Yeah.
0: There's so many people who can do CGI punching in this movie. There's a surfeit. Uh, I mean, did you see them? They're pouring like like uh, faucets, <laughs> like a like a like a water feature pouring. What well, you wanted?
1: Of- you wanted more people. You wanted somebody else. Who did you want?
0: <laughs> Doctor Strange like- portals in the sky, just like. J- the teeming teeming masses of of humanity and uh, actually humanity is too limiting a term teeming masses of beings from planets and dimensions all sorts you know pouring onto the field of battle Uh, in the, in the CGI punching scene, which is the least (laughs) interesting part of the movie by, by a long shot. Um, but, the you know, so you didn't, you really could lose Thor. You could get more mileage out of Thor by taking him out of the CGI punching stakes. And also like they do a nice thing with the hammer and cap, you know, that was a good, that was a good little, uh, tingly, tingly moment. That was a nice little hit of, uh, I don't know what 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 do you get hits of endorphins or something? Yeah, a little satisfaction. Yeah, it was a little there's a little satisfaction right there. Uh, you know, yeah. with with Cap, but but stick a pin in that um, Iron Man final. Uh, I think the last uh, last character before we spend twenty or thirty minutes on Nick Thury, Fury's four second appearance. In the, yeah. <laughs> I
1: I will say, Matt, that it was really great to see everybody coming through at that in that big scene. But I'll also say that it was really great to see all of the portals come back from all the previous Marvel movies (laughs) and this time join the Avengers because we all know every single movie has a portal of some kind. It's trying to
0: suck something out of New York up into
1: you know. And the story that they didn't tell was how those portals decided to join the good guys, which was just so <laughs> nice of all of them. But anyway, you Wait, no, those me. were those were Doctor Strange portals though, right? Know, those they, it was yeah. it was not literally like all of the other portals. It was just like, "Oh, look, we're the ones with portals now." Haha, ha, how do you like that, I mean, Thanos? Por-
0: I'd love to see portals as a, you know, as a film, as a sort of like like extras like the Ricky Gervais TV project where it's just portals and the portals from all the various films sit around and talk about the <laughs> You know, sucking things from one place to like, another. Uh, well,
1: there's this baby on an altar that's got to get sacrificed. And then I'm going to open up, and then the Statue of Liberty is going to hit me. It's, right. <laughs> but I get my. It would have been some. pretty. Gr-
2: <laughs> it would have been pretty great if they're just they'd thrown in one portal from some completely different franchise. Like a gate opens up, and like Roger Rabbit jumps out.
1: Just like, oh, sorry, <laughs> wrong movie. And then he jumps back. That's, that's in Ready portal. Player One. That's where the Ninja uh, Turtle.
4: It did have a little bit of a Ready Player One feel, where it's like you gotta you gotta freeze frame it to see like all the minor characters that they like they shoehorned into the backgrounds.
0: You by. definitely, yeah. yeah, you definitely got that, uh, got that sense that this is sort of made to be watched in like 4K Blu Ray on a 65 inch TV and like you know gone through frame by frame to see what uh, um, to see what's going on. All right, let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about the 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 big one the the big paycheck <laughs>
1: <laughs> the one who rounds with howdy hubbert howdy <laughs> hunier hubbert
0: hubbert howdy hunier uh yeah his uh sort of arc in this uh his sort of arc in this thing i mean it's it's interesting we're back to the sort of tony stark um, we're back to the t- well. I guess it's an evolution on the on the Tony Stark um, dilemma in the Iron Man movies of sort of um, what a uh, uh, personal desires versus duty, right? Like will versus duty, or or uh, self gratification versus you know the needs of others, right? Which got to be a little bit actually flipped on its head in the the Civil War uh, era, as like he was the um, He was the, like, it's okay if the world is a police state as long as we're safe from aliens guy, um, with Cap representing the other side of that. You know, and and here, like, his conflict is between—it's a better conflict because it's between right and right, you know? It's right to stay with your family and be there for them, and it's also right to, you know, go and and save the world. And a— uh, a conflict between between two good options um, that are mutually exclusive is a, a much more interesting conflict, dramatically than you know. Will he overcome the badness and do the good thing? You know. Um, so I'm a. Uh, I was a little. I was a little happier with it, and I I think it though it looks like the old Tony Stark of like selfishness, being you know I want to be with my family versus. Um, Uh, versus duty. It's not, it's, it is a sort of duty uh, to raise your family, even though, and, and actually raising a a little baby involves a whole lot of duty and that the, uh, no, everyone's muted. No one, no one likes my, I got
2: it. I got it.
0: (laughs) Uh, And that like, uh, you know, that it is a, it is a a conflict of, of complete, uh, of competing rights rather than of a right and wrong.
2: Mm. So, Matt, one uh, quick response to that. I think, I think you're right. I think it was an interesting setup for, for Iron Man. Um, although one, one aspect of it that I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, all of your thoughts on, um, is the way they set up the time travel um, aspect of this movie. At first, I thought that what they were going to do was to sort of create a conflict for Iron Man where he'd be forced to uh, either bring the, the trillions of people back who were dusted in the last movie, um, but in so doing, destroy the timeline with his own daughter. Um, it felt like that was perhaps the, the tension they were building at the very beginning, that in other words, if he, they used time travel somehow, he could screw up, the, he could basically destroy his daughter's life and destroy the life that he's built for himself in the wake of, of Thanos' destruction. But then it seemed like they very quickly waved their hands and said, no, uh, we're actually going to do something else with time travel and don't worry about it, your daughter's going to be fine. Um did any of you feel that way or, or think that, that was that was handled in a strange way or, or, or was it is it um is, is there a different I say a different sort of narrative urgency to the fact that he's simply going away from his family and risking his life to go on this heroic uh mission?
1: Because yeah, I felt like when he's when he and uh Pepper Potts are sitting down having their Patrician morality conversation in their uh in their little sitting area in their salon, right? In their uh on their divan. Uh the conversation is you know we have so much we're happy we could just wait this out and we would be fine but think of everybody else who's suffering we really need to give up something that we have we need to be willing to put ourselves on the line in order to give back to everybody and i kind of felt like in that conversation the daughter was on the table That that it was like we we have to recognize that look yes we have our life pretty good right now but you're talking about billions of people and, you know, yes, you know, and that that's that's a sort of real life conversation that billionaires can have with each other over wine at night if they want. Right. Which is like, well, we have it really well off, but billions of people don't. Should we give up something that we love in order to help the billions? Right.
0: And, and so, it's, it's, and so Bill and, it's Melinda it's Bill and Melinda Gates,
1: right? <laughs> right? Right. Right. I
4: mean, in in an interesting way, Iron Man and Captain America kind of switch places in this movie that that iron man i mean when he says i am iron man at the very end of the first movie of the the marvel series right it's this statement of like self-aggrandizement right he's not supposed to say that but he can't help it because he's like he wants to brag he wants to like you know be the cool guy right and so like he says it because he's he's a self-centered jerk right and and i'm iron man is what you say if you've invented a cool robot suit and like you just have to tell people right and it he says it again in this movie and it turns out to be his very last words and it's this sort of statement of like duty and responsibility like like being iron man means that like you you've got to give it all up because like you are the only one who can do the things that you can do and that's like comes with a terror you know with great power comes great responsibility um and then it, it, in the on um, the other hand like captain america is the guy who's always been all about responsibility responsibility defines him until this very last mission when he decides just not to come home he just decides to like you know what i'm done um and i quit and that's what tony wanted to do right tony wanted to to walk out and couldn't and captain america never thought that he could and he does and so it's almost like they 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 learn something from each other and they sort of switch
1: lives yeah i think that the consequences of tony failing are interesting so in this movie they fail to get the cube they fail to get the tesseract right and then that causes them to have to go back to 1970 where tony has to confront his father I mean, again, as long as we're writing fan fiction, which we've done a bunch of times, like in the cave,
0: like actually, literally underground in a cave.
1: Yeah, he literally has to like leave a bowl of blood with uh, from a black ram at the door of the military installation and go down into the underworld to talk to his father. Right, as Officer Tiresias watches the door for them. It's um, he goes down to the cave to talk to his father. It would have, I think, been maybe even a little bit better if the necessity of that had somehow been caused by him being unwilling to complete the mission because he didn't want to like. Erase his daughter from existence, right? Like something along those lines. It feels because it feels like it's the 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 story is preloaded for him having to make that really kind of intense choice. And I guess it's the same thing with like we don't really see Hawkeye's family really good turn to ash. They sort of turn away and we only see a little bit of it. This movie isn't really interested in getting super brutal with us about the consequences of these actions. But I totally agree with Ben that then and I think the movie even sets it up. So like, what if it's something along the lines of like, you know, he he can't go through with it because in the instant he thought about his daughter, he decided that he couldn't follow the plan. And then it's like, no, we have to follow the plan. And then he goes farther back in time and then he talks to his father. That adds to the conversation with his father a little bit of extra urgency. And then, you know, who can show up is Loki he can show up with the Tesseract and give it to him. Right. Like that's that's like that's the idea of being like, you know, uh, thank you for helping me back there. I think you need this. Right uh, a little bit more than I do,
0: so a little a, a little yep. actual deus ex machina,
1: I, you know, I just I don't know. I'm just coming up with different sorts of ways that what I yearn for is ways to cash out emotional beats, yeah, in a way that kind of works in type in a tight plot, in a causal way, is that like they start the emotional beat, and I feel like this is all about melodrama and sentimentality. These things are so much about melodrama and sentimentality that I'm like following the yearning in my heart for what I wish I could have seen on the screen. And it's in, in infinity war, maybe that wasn't really so much of a thing, but in this movie, it kind of was, even though there was a ton of gratification in this movie and applause and wish fulfillment and happiness. Uh, I mean, Tony Stark, I feel like there were a bunch of things from his story that were brought back in this movie that nobody cares about. That like that are just – they're important in the Tony Stark story if you watched all the movies recently, but they aren't the ones that stand out to anybody. Like, like, does anybody remember what the event is that happens on that day that makes him know that both Hank Pym and his father are at – is that when the Winter Soldier kills his dad? Is that the day he's born? Like, what is what is the thing that's supposed to happen at the military installation? Um, I think I, I kind of feel like they just picked
4: a random date during the, because they know that the Tesseract was sitting there for years, decades, and they knew that like Hank Pym worked at it. And so I think, I think it was just sort of like an educated guess about when you could find them both. And it, I mean, it's, it, it it does i mean i don't think it's supposed to be the actual day he's born it's close to when he's born it's definitely not when he his dad i think it was like 1991 right when he's like 19 or 20
1: that his dad does right 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 so then what happens in 1970 that causes because he does say i know a point where they would be there right um and yeah and, yeah it feels like i mean it could have been any period from like what the 50s yeah I was wondering whether it was like a flashback of him and Hank Pym arguing or something ha- happening. I don't know. But the whole I mean, uh, this is,
0: I mean, this is sort of interesting because the, and and I feel like there are other outlets on the internet that are very. Well suited to do this explainer yeah. style uh, thing, but I want to pick up Pete on a thread that you that you started sort of spinning, uh, which is that like what we're what we're looking like the ideal version of this movie, right? The the sort of Tom Stoppard post Arcadia, you know, kind of version of this movie is the. Um, is the is the way that in a in a tight plot you could cash out all the emotional beats in a way that that sort of paid tribute to and kind of fulfilled what came before and then also was you know hopefully you know surprising or at least at least satisfying you know the 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 Thanos line I am inevitable I am inevitable that that kind of bookends um, this movie reminds me of an experience that you have. Writing something like this, and if you've, you know, I I don't think anyone other than these people have ever attempted, or maybe you know, Proust or something like that has ever attempted a a, a narrative on this scale. But, um, but, Pete, have you ever written a villanelle? Of course, yeah, definitely right. As, yeah. as an exercise in college or something like that. Me too. Yeah. Now, a villanelle. If you don't know what it is, it's a it's a form, um, a first form that is something like sixteen lines long, twenty lines long, something like that, and it has two refrains. Uh, the most famous one in all of human history is Dylan Thomas: "Do not go gentle into that good night." Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And the way the way it works is that those um, those two refrains. Uh, repeat right uh, throughout the thing. Like uh, at the end of the second stanza, "Do not go gentle" at the into that good night. At the end of the third stanza, uh, "Rage, rage against the dying of the light." Fourth and fifth. So that's what three times five, fifteen plus a, a four uh, four line send off, nineteen lines. So and then at the very end of the poem, you do refrain A and refrain B. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. There is a point. In writing a villanelle, if, if, imagine writing it through from the beginning to the end. There's a point in that process of composition where you're stuck, right? Where you have fewer lines to write because a, a large number of the lines are inevitable. And it's about kind of coping with the inevitability of of what you've committed yourself to, and trying to inject uh still a little bit of creativity and surprise into that um the uh into that uh you know strict form um that that you're going, I don't know if you see where I'm going with this, Pete, but I feel like they oh, were, yeah. this was very near. The way that this movie had to have been composed, it was very, very near the end of the villanelle right and and it 's almost like they didn 't have control over a large number of things because they just had to cash the checks that they 'd written um, that they 'd written in earlier films and so so a couple things like to me were great and I didn't see coming. I thought they were going to, you know, have a big battle and then use the gauntlet to put the, to put everything right. And they did that, but they killed Thanos first and had to reassemble the gauntlet, had to rebuild the gauntlet from scratch. That was a nice, uh, nice little plot twist. I mean, I'm not a, uh, really a reader of this era of comic books, so maybe it happens this way in some, uh, uh, it doesn't. Yeah, in it some it version doesn't. of some story. But like it was, it was a good, nice original idea. Uh, I thought but then you know the the overall thing i had of 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 like watching this film was that it was like a uh it was like an emulsion you know or it was like a formulation it was like a a, a smoothie it was a a it's like um concrete right concrete has a uh like an aggregate like crushed rock i think right and then uh a medium you know the cement Part of concrete is the medium in which the aggregate is. Uh, you know, you mix the aggregate. Now, it's, uh, I'm, please, if you are a real mechanical engineer and you know about these materials, like please, well, actually, me in the co- uh, comments. Trust me, I would like nothing more than to learn a lot about concrete in the comments on the, uh, on this episode. But like the the you mix them together, and the strength becomes is it being not just cement and not just a pile of rocks, but a pile of rocks su- suspended in in cement, and you you can. Formulate, I think, different kinds of aggregate to get different sort of results in the in the sort of finished mix. And it seemed to me that there was like there was a lot of pulverized storytelling material that was kind of blended, that was frappéd into this uh, into this film. And like sentimentality and melodrama and pathos was one of them. Uh, humor was another kind of like thrills and adventure. Um, was another, uh, and this is largely in the uh, in the sec- the long second act time heist um, part of the movie. The third act was CGI, it was CGI pu- punching. As I said, stopped sort of stopped interesting me at at a certain point. Um, that like. You know, and so the the impression I had of this movie kind of being into into it is that like you had to kind of keep the you had to keep the mix fresh. You had to keep the formulation going. Maybe it's just because they're building a house next to me, but like the, the mental image I have, uh I'm looking out the window at a construction site right now. The mental image I have is of the the concrete mixer, um or the, the yeah, the cement mixer I guess going around and around and around and around and had to keep this kind of uniform consistency through through a lot of the of the film with the result that like at a high level my sense was that it it had to be too many things to too many people and couldn't necessarily land a big artistic statement um, in the way that some of the individual in the way that you know Iron Man two or three three kind of tried to, or like, uh, or Thor Ragnarok definitely did. Um, or some of the other ones have, have managed to do. And that, I mean, that was the, the impression, uh, that I had cu- coming out of this movie. There was too much of it that I think was inevitable for there to be a lot of room to, uh, you know, you know, to, to surprise and delight. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. How do you, how do you guys feel about that? I mean, as an opening statement, like as a no, resolution, no. like let's debate now.
1: <laughs> well, I, the, the 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 phrase I love you 3000 comes to mind uh, because essentially I agree with you in that this is a. I mean, like a chess end game, many of the moves are forced. Right. Uh, is that once you get near the end of the game and you can see how the game needs to conclude, you still have choices, but you don't have that many. But I would also suggest that. If we look at the statement I love you 3000 as a sort of purpose statement for the project, it's like I love you 3000 as in the 3000 of you. I love you, Legion. I love you, Collective Group. I also love you a whole lot and also like in a whole lot of ways that this is a movie in which kind of the 3000-ness of it. Is uh, You might even say it's over 9,000, but it's that, um, that this is a movie in which large numbers would be the appropriate numbers to describe it, I suppose, right? This is uh, both in terms of the intensity and the occasion yeah. and the direction with which those things might be directed. And I think that – I mean the movie, this is a movie that tries to give everybody the thing that they wanted. Which, you know, as is evidenced by the uh, all-women attack on Thanos, which, I, from what I understand, was, like, a hugely emotional moment for a lot of women who watched the movie. And for me, I thought it was cool, but it, like, didn't affect me that much. And I was very conscious of the fact that, like, okay— this is not for me. This is for women who are watching the movie. They're going to like it more than me. Okay, great. Now that when they see Groot and they don't feel anything, they can you know we can compare experiences because I love Groot so much. Uh, although, although the one thing that I really wanted to see in this movie didn't show up, and I was like super-duper-duper disappointed. Uh, the one thing, the one character from the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I really wanted to make an appearance was a no-show. And his job was taken by an animal, which was disgusting, um, which was Luis. I wanted to see Louise. Oh, yeah.
0: Man. Oh, just yeah.
4: A heist. Like recapping everything for the last 21. Right, movies. Exactly. Yeah, and if you,
0: yeah. Oh, that would have been so good. But like, yeah, once you had I actually had a little like subconscious association uh, with him when I heard the horn of the van
1: playing La Cucaracha. Yes. Yes, this is a movie that has a van in it that plays like Cucaracha, but has zero Hispanics in the movie, which is not appropriate. I don't know. I shouldn't say it that I don't know. way. No, it's it, sure it, There it, are there put, are somewhere. There's a hundred thousand. There's three thousand people in the movie. Like put but,
0: put another way, it is America, right? Like yeah. the the I think the number one cocktail ordered in every state in the union except for Illinois is uh, is a margarita.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's like that's Luis's van. It should be Luis trying to get the van out of impound, and he's been looking for it for five years, right? And they just took his van, and it's like, look, man, I'm trying to get back on my feet again. I just need a little bit of help, right? He like should be the rat that runs across the console. Yes, page. he should finally be getting his van out of impound. It should be like, you don't know how many how much paperwork I had to file. It took me five years to find my van. And yeah, and then he should totally be like explaining to everybody everything that happened or because the heist lacked that kind of heist energy. And uh, and he could have given it a little bit more of the heist energy, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, Um, that 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 big heist energy, you know. Yeah, exactly. Ph.D. Or that or that time time heist
1: energy. That T.H.E. Yeah, T.H.E. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, but it had so many other things, right? And it had stuff for everybody. And it, it, I loved you 3,000. It was 3,000 people, 3,000 ways, 3,000 punches, all sorts of flying horses. Yeah,
4: just just an escalate. Yeah, I mean, I, one thing that occurred to me is that that like the Tony Stark's final sacrifice didn't feel like that big a moment for me because way back in Avengers 1, we already established that he was willing to sacrifice himself for the good of humanity, right? That he did that and he, he survives, but like, you know, only after, uh, being resuscitated by the Hulk screaming at him, right? And so that, like, his character arc was kind of already there, and so what they had to do to this movie is just escalate it, right? It escal- bring it up to 3,000 by giving him a family, because way back in Avengers 1, not only did he not have a kid, technically he wasn't even with Pepper, right? That, that like, all he had was, like, somebody he wanted to be with. Um, so he wasn't giving up as much so that, like, all they could do was, like, give him more to lose, and so he could redo his sacrifice for Avengers 1, but bigger this time, right? The biggest
2: sacrifice.
0: It's you're you're gonna get you're gonna get tired from all the sacrificing.
2: <laughs> ben, what were you gonna say? Oh, I, I was just gonna say well, a couple things. One is, I mean, I, I just wanted to quickly say I, I actually found the sequence where the. All, all, the 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 women superheroes band together, and as I, th- I found that very moving. And, and while I agree, you know, as a, a, a cis straight white man, perhaps I was not the intended audience. But I think m- maybe this goes to to Matt's um, sort of metaphor of concrete, and that is, I, I certainly agree from a uh, I suppose from a narrative perspective that it was that a lot of this is preordained, and they kind of have to keep churning all these these things and, and serve many different different audiences. Um, but but maybe to, to to carry that metaphor to a, a silly extreme, uh, concrete is of course very strong. And I think that um, while they were, had to, you know, maybe couldn't create a product that was terribly original, what they wound up with was actually quite, quite impressive. For example, I think that the fact that they had to resolve this very, this very epic, um, sort of combat-oriented story arc, uh, which involved a lot of death and a lot of tragedy and a lot of mayhem, but still managed to maintain a lot of levity, as we were discussing before with with Thor and so forth. Um, so, uh, I suppose the the, the foundation they're going to pour isn't isn't uh, isn't so so shoddy after all, or something like that. <laughs>
0: The rebar, yeah, exactly. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have some rebar in there just to, to you know, hold <laughs> yeah. the, hold the, uh, hold the whole thing up. All right, we uh, we have gone long, so so parting shots uh, from everyone. I- ben, I feel like we haven't heard from you enough, and I'm am sorry, but uh, you know, my my goodness, they're going to make another Star Trek movie, aren't they? We're we're, we're this is not the last time <laughs> we're going to have you on the podcast.
2: Uh, no, no, well, thank you. I, I, I hope to join you guys again. Uh, no, I, I, um, I, like I said, I think my reaction to the film was, I, I largely agree with what you said. I think that, um, it, 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 they were forced into a lot of narrative corners, but they managed to, to accomplish something quite interesting. Um, and, uh, I'll also say, uh, I'll throw this out there as a rhetorical question. Um, you know, while Kevin Feige might've been, um, uh, inspired by all good things, was this in fact much more akin to Star Trek: Generations?
0: Mm. Mm. A generation's final journey,
2: exactly. <laughs> Passing the torch.
0: No, that was that was Nemesis. I think was the Nemesis. Actually, hey, Star Trek: Nemesis with uh with data dying at the end spoiler alert for star trek nemesis (laughs) right like if you kill the robot guy at the end then you know is that what is that what this is and and also all the kind of the doubling you know i interesting uh blinks you have a parting shot for uh for the marvel cinematic universe for which they will make no more movies (laughs)
4: I, now I'm just all of a sudden I became like paralyzed with the revelation that Tom Hardy is supposed to be a clone of Patrick Stewart. And and, and I don't think that's true. I don't think that Tom Hardy is literally <laughs> genetically identical to Patrick Stewart any more than uh, going back to the Judge Dread movie of the 90s. Armand DeSante is a genetic twin of Sylvester Stallone. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm just going to ask the question. I believe I asked this on the podcast way back in 2012. How are you going to keep them down on the farm once they've seen the Avengers? Because it does feel like this is as far as you could go in the the, the sort of epic cosmic stakes, right? Like you killed off half of not only all the people on earth, half of the people in the universe and the way that you solved it is by time travel. And it feels like that is like almost like a, like a maximal storytelling move. And so they're like, yeah, like they can start again with the characters that they have and, start another sort of sequence of like 10 years building up narrative threads leading towards something else but it feels like it feels like you can't pull this trick twice because that where else can you go like who's going to be the next thanos and so it almost feels like they've gotta go in a different direction somehow but but this sort of like the the need to i mean this movie made ridiculous amounts of money And so that like, you know, obviously people at Disney will be trying to think of a way that you can, you know, not right away, but like 10 years from now have another movie on the scale. But I guess, how can you?
1: Yeah. Interesting. Pete, parting shot. I mean, the one answer, which is the one I keep saying is get Nick Offerman to play Galactus and you've got me sold. But, (laughs) but, um, cause Galactus is the big, is the big question mark, I guess. But, but even more than that, I will say that, um, that if it seems like there's kind of a problem because the ancient one has a big speech where she says that it's essential to keep all the affinity stones together to prevent dark forces from overwhelming the reality. And in the movie, all the affinity stones are destroyed <laughs> and aren't around. And then you would think that this would represent a problem. Uh, it does. It does. Right. And so um, that's one of the other things this movie does is that it it has a lot of things seated in it that could be the future problems. Oh, there's an earthquake under the ocean off the coast of Africa. I wonder if it's an eldritch horror or some kind waking up because Doctor Strange isn't around to go conduct, you know, rent negotiations with these kinds of guys. Right. Or like. Maybe it's freaking Jason Momoa of the Marvel Universe, Namor the Samaritan is coming oh, around. God. Like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying that. Like, one of the interesting things about this movie is that it is also seeded with things that could pay off in the future, like a lot of the other Marvel movies. But it, it doesn't tell the audience that so much in the same way, right? It does not, it does not point them out as much. And in that sense, it is taking a bit of a break, which I guess is nice. So, um, yeah, I guess the the parting shot there is just, uh, you know, if you point out a problem that is present in this movie with the with things not being entirely solved or things not entirely working out, I think they're kind of counting on you to find those problems. And if not, because they intend to make them into future stories, but instead to uh, provoke in you hope. And not hope, but um but interest, right? And curiosity about what they might do in the future. Uh, because you're gonna come up with all sorts of elaborate theories and then they're gonna chop Thanos' head off in the first ten minutes to confound you deliberately. <laughs> but at the very least you maintained interest. So uh, it's it's all it's all about the mystery box, right? What it yeah. boils down to. And
0: by the way, when Thanos shows up in this reality again, when he travels forward in time, and and also, I mean, Ben, I feel like we could have had a, a long hour podcast about the the mechanics of time travel and whether this is more of a yesterday's Enterprise kind of movie or whether this is more of a parallels uh, kind of movie. And and the answer is it's it's both at times when it when it. Uh, Suits it so, like Bruce Willis to Jordan Joseph Gordon Levitt. I will say to you, don't worry about it so much. (laughs) Very well said. (laughs) But uh, you know, I, I guess the the party the the when Thanos comes back, they don't actually even really get uh to the bottom of nebula's betrayal, right? It's like, uh, we did weird things with time, you know, the it was, something was bound to happen, right? <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Whole Avengers complex destroyed. Something was bound to uh to happen. But I, I And guess- nobody even yells
4: at Chris Pratt, right? Like we all expected like, you know, once <laughs> once he comes back to life, they'd be like, so you're the one who's responsible, but nobody even gets a chance to mention it. Even even like on Nick Fury doesn't even get to say a word in that he started the Avengers and like even in a three hour and one minute long movie, there's just no time for him to, you know, put a button on the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so uh, so that I, I guess I will say I, I'll, I'll beat this dead horse that, that I've been beating um, this dead flying horse uh, the CGI punching is the most expensive and least interesting part of most of these movies so hey how about a film that's just a, a work of visual storytelling about the dramatic actions of a group of interesting characters alright this has been the overthinking it podcast on Avengers Endgame thank you very much for listening thanks to Pete and Matt Uh, for uh, podcasting, Podcasters Assemble. Thanks very much to Ben for joining, and thanks very much to Shion for joining. Shion had to drop off earlier, but uh, we're very grateful to have such uh, high caliber of guests here uh, on this podcast. As usual we are on, uh, we're uh, looking for what you have to say in the comments so uh, click through to the show notes for this episode uh, in your podcast app or web browser and you'll find a place where you can uh, add some comments and join the, the discussion. We're overdue for a listener feedback episode so let's get to uh, let's get to do that and I'm looking forward to uh, talking with mechanical engineers about the various structural properties of uh, concrete and its, its utility as a building material. Alright, we'll be back with more Overthinking It podcast next week. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It
1: yeah. probably, probably, probably
2: doesn't, doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve.
0: clink clink
1: clink clink
4: that better be doctor doom's mask by the way <laughs>